0: Hey, welcome to the Madness Continues Podcast. This is Brendan. If I sound weird, uh it's because I'm sick, actually. Um it's been two weeks since I've recorded this podcast because I had uh that interview with um pardon me, with uh noted economist Michael Tallard last week. Uh a lot of people like that, which I think was pretty cool. He's uh he's a pretty intelligent guy. He's very interesting to follow on Facebook. Um, apparently here's, what's weird. There's two things I want to talk about here. The first is that his Wikipedia article is being like attacked or something. I didn't know this was a real thing, but I sent some people to his Wikipedia article and he saw in the podcast, he was like, Hey, just want to FYI, let you know, if you send anybody to my Wikipedia article, it might not be there for much longer, which I thought was a little interesting. Uh, when I went there, there was a huge debate going on, he sent me to this metadata page where there's all this back and forth about how noted is Michael Taylor, are any of his books useful, is he a real academic it's it's kind of insane because the books he wrote uh, psychology, analysis and uh, economics and modern warfare are textbooks essentially and they're they're published for real Um, they're not pop books um, he has written a couple of pop books, which I think is interesting. His upcoming books on behavioral economics and, um, guaranteed minimum income, which is not exactly what the aspirational economy is about, but it's, is, uh, mentioned in it is, um, it's just really fascinating to me because it's like, these are real, this is real shit that he's doing and he can't. It's like, I don't understand why there's this weird back and forth about it. Like, I, I appreciate the fact that people on, on Wikipedia are arguing about, you know, whether or not his work has any merit, because I think that that actually makes me feel good about Wikipedia. But it's bizarre, because it's like, he he just <laughs> could not be there. Like, it's it was there one day, and they might delete it. Meanwhile, there's probably plenty of people with Wikipedia pages, like Khloe Kardashian probably has a Wikipedia page. I mean, I know her name, but I couldn't tell you one thing she's done aside from be a sister to a woman who made a porn video once and is married to Kanye. I mean, this is just a weird, it's like a strange situation, you know? Like, when do you, how do you know? I mean, Mike's books are like referenced by people who are doing real things with economics. (laughs) Like, I mean, he could cite for you influences he's had from like Daniel Kahneman and, you know, people like this. I, I don't know. It's a strange situation is all that I'm saying. The second thing, and I got to get this off my chest uh, before I want to talk about any of the stuff that I wanted to talk about today, is uh, how totally annoying it was to get the Skype presentation set up to interview him last or two weeks ago. It was so much freaking work. Like it was, <laughs> I had to download something, uh, plug in for Skype. I had to go into like the back end script work of Skype and like type some stuff in and create a fake uh like tool that the computer thought was real that then plugged into my it was just a massive amount of stuff and you guys heard it yourself the audio was not great anyway so it was like I just don't you know you think it would be easier I'm kind of amazed actually how challenging it's been and technology lately across the board feels like it's kind of been failing me like i downloaded ios 11 and (laughs) my phone immediately became a piece of shit (laughs) like the one thing apple has been so screwing it up lately came out with the apple watch which is okay i guess you know i don't know why everybody i know who has one says they like it and i can't really figure out why I'm sure it tells time. I, I, I know it's like, oh, I, like I asked my friend at work, this, uh <clears throat> pardon me, I am sick, which I mentioned, but if I have to cough or, or anything during this, you'll know, <laughs> that's why. Anyway, I, so I asked this woman I work with, I was like, what, so why, you, what do you have, you know, what do you get the Apple Watch for, and what do you, what do you like it for, and she goes, well, you know, it tells time, and I'm like, okay, cool, so a we'll watch, and she goes, and also, you know, I can, it's really neat because I can check, like, if I'm getting a call on my phone, like, who is, I can check who is calling me on my watch before I check it out on my phone. And uh, those were the only two points she said. <laughs> so, like, okay, so you basically, so I thought the watch problem was solved when your phone became a watch. And now it sounds like the phone problem is solved because you got the watch. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what this piece of technology is exactly for, except letting the world know that you make more money than them. So uh, go figure. And that in the past that's what jewelry was for, I think. Oh boy. Oh boy, madness continues pod. Rolling it out hot. Uh it's been two weeks since I've uh said anything, and it it's it's weird. It's weird to a little bit to be back because in the last two weeks a lot of stuff has like gone on. Also, I never finished my other point. I downloaded iOS 11 and it uh fucked up my phone completely. I bought this phone like 2 years ago, two two Yeah, coming up on 2 years, just into this year, into this coming year. And I it's that is not not enough time has passed between getting the iPhone 6 and it being screwed up because of Apple, basically. It's just like it it, there's no way that enough time has passed to necessitate uh, its... You know what I mean? Like, they, I don't need a new phone. It's it's ridiculous. And I don't think anything was wrong with the previous, uh, you know, update anyway. This is why I think Apple gets you. I just saw that Samsung commercial recently over uh, the holiday weekend. We'll talk about the holiday, too, in a second, but... I saw the, um, you know, I saw the, this commercial where this guy's really excited and he gets a, he's like years ago, you know, like 15 years ago or 10 years ago, actually exactly 10 years ago because they came out with the iPhone X this year to celebrate the 10 year anniversary of the iPhone and also the iPhone eight. So I I mean, both of the, what just come out with one fucking phone, man. I'm not going to buy either of them as a protest. In fact, I might switch to Samsung for and this commercial captured it completely because it shows this guy who's really excited to get this iPhone. And uh he's texting on it and it shows like all these different like problems that the iPhone has always had compared with whatever Samsung was out with at the time, but the guy was always on Apple. It's like he jumps in the water with this girl, but his phone is screwed up and hers is fine because Samsung was waterproof back then. <clears throat> And then uh, it finally comes up to today, and he's like, you know what, whatever. I'm finally going and getting a Samsung, and he gets it. And then he walks out, and he passes the Apple store, and he makes eye contact with the guy in line to go get the new iPhone. And uh, it was that was it. And it was just like, hey, time, like life's better with Samsung. And you were like, oh, God, you're right, man. I'm so over this Apple shit. I'm just over this, like... This constant grind I mean like the the phone had worked fine. What was the point of the update? What possible fucking reason did you have to to molest my phone to get on the inside of my phone and screw it up? Can you imagine at any other point in history this I challenge you audience member, all one of you <laughs> oh all one of you listening in the Russian Federation, to think about this, okay? All all one of you can sit down and think about at, at what other point in history would anyone who owned anything allow the people who manufactured it to just show up and fuck with it in beyond your sight? So it's like you're going to buy a tractor, and the manufacturer gets to show up and annoy you with letters saying like hey we got to come and update your tractor we got to update your tractor we got to update your tractor and then out of nowhere you're finally are like fuck I keep getting all right fine come and update it and then they go under the hood you don't see what they do and then they then they go all right done and then you go to start the tractor and you're like wait it's not working exactly the way that it did oh no it's great anyway within quick succession they come back to your door twice and go yeah, we've had a lot of complaints that other people think that their tractor isn't working after the update. So we're gonna update a couple more things real quick. This is basically what's happened in my iPhone. No, at no other point in history would anyone ever do that. They would go like, no, you can t- I own the tractor now. You can't touch it. It's fucking ridiculous. You're buying into like all this stuff because here's why. You're buying a piece of technology, and you're not just buying the hardware. You're buying the software it all works on the inside of it too. But the software they can update anytime they want. You're you're locked into their project and their product. <clears throat> it's just totally it's too fucking weird is all I'm saying. It's bizarre because like what's the, you know, they're going what's the future of this going to look like? It's like in the they're going they're going to completely own all of your you know, everything you do with their product. They're going to own that. That's their data. And they're going to own the software and gonna update it anytime they want. Every time they're like, hey, Apple wants to get another kick of a few hundred, you know, thousands of bucks because you got to go buy the new thing. That's just what they're going to do. They're going to kick open the uh, the old tractor hood and screw with it. And then they're like, oh, I guess you need to go buy the new tractor now. The new tractor's got a better camera, though. It's, it's, it's insane. Ugh. Oh. Well, I didn't really want to talk about any of that. If <laughs> there's one theme that's developed in this podcast over the, I don't know, five weeks I've been doing it. Statistically, they say if you make it to thirteen, it'll be a real thing. So, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, eight podcasts from now, <laughs> well into January when we're into the episode thirteen or fourteen. And, uh, then I'll be like, okay, this is a real podcast. Cause now it's just a man yelling into a microphone and then it will also be a man yelling into a microphone with the occasional guest. But I'll say we outlasted, we had 13 episodes. So now I can say I'm a real man yelling into a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I think the only thing keeping Apple going really is just the iPhone in general. I don't, I, I Okay. That was ridiculous, let me back up. I think it's the iphone I think it's their hardware. I don't think that they're great software. I think that iTunes is big, awful, and no one uses it for because it's terrible. Um, I think they did it one time. iTunes is bad. Huh. Huh. goodness gracious this this sickness is ruining me and come to think of it, I got it at the same time I updated my iPhone. Uh, so I wonder if there's any correlation apple's getting me si- se- I didn't get the update that's it. God sent out an update, and I, he's got to send out a couple of patches. okay, I'm saying the hardware is the reason they got their computers they got their macs they got their macbooks they got their ipads apple watches iphones uh iTunes is a piece of shit Safari is a piece they're terrible Safari's the worst. And uh, it's not going to get better. And it ke- my computer keeps wanting me to open it. Hey, you sure you want to? You don't want to open up the link that you just clicked in the email on Safari? No, I don't want to do that because I don't want to sit here for f- twenty-five minutes while it just hangs. That's what ugh. technology people. I guess I couldn't record this without it. So uh, no one would allow me. Probably I'd be on at two a.m. on the radio if it, <laughs> if I was doing this at all. You would, that's the only time that anybody would make this available. They'd be like, hey, let's give that crazy drunk the two AM spot because literally he's the only one up and he can't sleep because he keeps writing conspiracy theories in his notebook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they there's so I, I really feel like I'm that guy though, on some level. I am the conspiracy theory guy. Uh this is probably what I'll talk to Mark Marin about when we have our podcast, actually. I'll probably go, do you, because he's got to believe something. You know, I listen to Joe Rogan. I wish Mark was on it soon because I feel like the two of those guys would go so deep in the comedy world and then this these weird conspiracy theories. I think that, like, that's a real, it's a real thing that they could kind of bro out over, and I just want to hear that conversation because I think that's, I mean, all right, this will be the segue into the thing I really wanted to, To talk about here. Um, Well, I I had two subjects that were serious. So the podcast is called The Madness Continues. And really the point is this. It's going to be a rant. It's going to be a little bit like Dan Carlin's common sense. And it's going to be me basically trying to make sense of a world in present shock and future shock. In a world of uh, Jean Baudrillard's proliferating data. Simulacrum and simulation—a world where the the amount of insanity that's taking place because of this proliferation of data makes it impossible for anyone to grasp anything real or true. This is why Vladimir Putin listens to this podcast because if I find a solution, he's fucked. That's just the case. Because go listen to Adam Curtis, uh, who put out a a series of documentaries. A very amazing documentarian. And Adam Curtis put out a documentary documentary or documentary, either one, Tomato and Tomato, which by the way is the worst joke to text to someone. Tomato tomato. Anyway, Adam Curtis put out this great uh documentary and um it was uh it was recent and uh you can check him out adamcurtisblog.com. And what Adam Curtis basically talked about was how this, uh, what he called asymmetrical, sort of asymmetrical warfare, but it was uh, warfare done by the Russians in order to promote an idea of an incoherent world in which people could not grasp what was really happening around them. It was impossible to get any sense of, of grounding, and as a result, the people who, who, uh, who did this they were able to manipulate the public and seized power basically by, by keeping the public, uh, completely unaware of what was really happening. So you can think about it like this in 1984, uh, George Orwell basically, uh, said that there was a a ministry of truth and it was their job to go through every record and change the past and the sense of the past to fit the narrative of the present such that we're telling you what's true so that you have to forget that we were actually at war with someone else before Oceania or not Oceania, uh, Asia or Eurasia, whatever. Um, But now we're allied with whatever. And the, The problem there is that there's a massive amount of effort that has to take place to get rid of things that exist. And that's challenging because, as we know from the world we live in currently, the the records always exist. There's always going to be records of things you did. You sent a dick pic when you were 14 years old, too bad. It's always going to be out there. Snapchat's got it somewhere in the basement of a basement of a basement. So that years from now, when you run for office or something, it's going to come out and, and, you know... You're a little They're going to be like Hey you elicited someone into pedophilia And that's how the system's going to get you in the future But The point of making is this Uh, In Hypernormalization The documentary that Adam Curtis made He's basically saying the opposite He's uh, The same thing but by the opposite means Instead of trying to Go through the record to change the Narrative So that it fits the current Model of the official story Now Let's just create so many different narratives. We don't know who we're at war with. Are we war at war with Oceania? Are we at war with Eurasia? Are we, it doesn't matter. Get up and go to work. Vote for the party. Those are the only things that are true. So, like, you can see how this is working. In a world of very confusing and disparate uh, n- narratives, we we can only f- tend to focus on one or two different criteria that, that cause us to make sense of the world. <clears throat> Pardon me while I get a drink of this tea. Sorry, there. Uh Blake's Hard Cider from Armada Michigan. I I'm not drinking any this week cuz I'm I'm sick, man. You guys are delicious. I've got a whole I bought a case of you actually. If anybody listening to this podcast by the way has the hook, which is not none of you. <laughs> Uh, This will be the running joke. When this podcast has 100,000 listeners, which will happen, uh, I'm still going to make that joke. Nobody's listening to this podcast. Meanwhile, meanwhile. So uh, if anybody knows Blake's Hard Cider, uh, please put me in touch with them. I would love to get sponsored by them. Because I bought a case of you guys to help me of the Black Phillip before it went off the shelves because I needed all the help I could get to get me through the uh holidays. Actually in many ways I think this podcast will probably be a boon. If you're an extrovert out there, which is uh the potentially the predominant number of people in the United States, you you need to start a blog, a blog, Jesus, a podcast. You need to start a podcast because uh, just turning something on and talking to it is therapeutic. So much, and uh, here's the thing. the world is really starting to not like uh extroverts. There are so many books that are coming out recently that are saying like the introvert's edge and you're an introvert why introverts win here's the thing uh I'm happy if you're an introvert, I'm great, you know that's that's wonderful you it's whatever it's exactly the same actually, I'm not happy. fuck you, I don't want you you're. You're up, you're up, you're frustrating at parties. Okay. You, uh, you get angry when I try to have a conversation with you. You make me feel awkward and I have to put all the energy into a conversation. Okay. How about you learn something about actually dealing and talking with people? How about that? Okay. Then go, you know, do your math problems in a corner. You know, if it were just people, if it was, the world was just extroverts we wouldn't have any of this technology. You know what it would be? It would just be everybody having a great conversation. We would have had all just gone on a run in the Serengeti. It would have been midday, be very hot. We'd run a caribou to death or whatever, uh, Impala. It would just be hopping around until it died. And then we'd all eat it and have a great conversation. And then we'd have group sex later because that's what extroverts do. And uh, instead, you had to invent the better spear and compete and make me feel awkward for being naturally a nice person. So, you know, go kick rocks. All right, great. Now that I've <laughs> alienated that segment of people from this pod, the the listening, the listenership to this podcast will continue to deteriorate until it's really just me. <laughs> oh man, I really want to get into this Adam Curtis a hyper normalization shit in this. And I, I really do. Cause there's two things I want to talk about in it. But before that I do, I really have to t- confess this too. I have been listening to my own podcast so much. It is so weird. It is like the weirdest form of mental masturbation because I, I, you guys, this is why you guys need to do it is because I really, I <laughs> just love hearing my voice. <laughs> what a weird, it's so weird. I uh, went back all day long today. I was sick. All I did was look at old clips of myself doing stand up in Edinburgh and listening to my podcast on the train because uh, I did go to work earlier today before I felt too bad to come home. That's all I did. <laughs> oh man, I'm. Sh- Is that histrionic? Is it like? It's so weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware of how bizarre that sounds. <laughs> People are gonna I'd have to go to talk to a specialist. <laughs> Brendan, what's your, what have you been spending your time doing lately? I just listening to myself on a podcast talk. And I just have a huge smile on my face about how clever, clever and funny I am. <laughs> also, sometimes I mumble words. Oh boy. Alright, let's get back to this hypernormalization odyrism stuff. So this is the idea. This odyrism. Everybody goes, oh dear, I don't know what to do. The world is confusing. The world is frustrating. Let's just focus on what the party says, basically. That's basically what the tenet of uh, of Adam Curtis is saying. So it's not like Orwell, where there was some governing uh, group that decided what the story would be and then compelled everything to follow it. And it, it's, it's, it's different. There's a group of people who have an idea of wanting power but the story doesn't matter it's the truth the the truth of it does not matter you know so scott adams recently talked about this and it's part of the reason that he thinks trump got elected is that there's this there's this uh world in which facts don't matter it's why colbert's word truthiness became word of the year some time ago I think 2005 if the facts don't matter then what's the you know what's the point well the facts don't the facts don't matter there's a proliferation of so many facts and and Baudrillard again in in the late 90s pointed this out in the um, book the transparency of evil basically there's too much and we can't sort through it so the truth doesn't really matter it only kind of matters if it sounds like it could be real. Once you have that directionally, you want people to vote for you. You know, what had happened uh, previously and what sort of what Orwell identified was that there was a constant, there was a constant need for a crisis that it it had, there had to be a constant crisis because if there was not a constant crisis, the justification of the party being in power was not there. So, think about it like this. Uh, Slavoj Zizek, uh, who is a Slovenian philosopher, has spoken before about the fact that capitalism must constantly be in crisis. And really, Marx identified that this is true, uh, that there is a ebb and flow, there's a constant sort of overproduction, um, you could say a proliferation, in Baudrillard's terms, of goods. And when there's an overproduction of goods, the market can crash, Uh, causing all kinds of problems, Um, a depression, a lack of growth, all of this kind of stuff. Redistribution of capital is really what's happening during that period of time. What's weird about this is that Slavoj Zizek has said it's necessary for capital to constantly be in crisis because there needs to be a constant crisis in order to continue to sustain basically the ruling class, that there is a bourgeoisie, which you could, I suppose, in this model define as a group of people who own the means of capital and who control it, and those people are constantly looking for only the next thing to create more capital. And uh, as a result, there is a constant crisis, because if there was some... Stability, that would mean that there would be uh, stability in class structure, essentially. And uh, I don't think people would stand for that. These are my thoughts, not ZZACs. Anyway, where am I going with this? It's that there is also then, I think, a through the democratic process, process, we've created a market of politics. And in order for someone to sustain power, they have to receive votes, which is similar to uh, purchasing you know, in order for someone to receive uh, to be in power economically, they have to have lots of money or resources. Uh, they have to receive votes in the political economy. In order to sustain that power, they have to constantly have a crisis. Uh, they have to have a message that I think taps into beyond their uh, their identity to to get people together to grow a coalition to vote for them. But there has to also be a crisis, and previously uh before hypernormalization that Adam Curtis released in 2016 he talked about this in a documentary called uh uh the the uh the power of nightmares and it was basically saying that the neocons in the early 2000s gained power and sustained power by the concept that they could stand in the way of a tide of terror that was coming our way uh, this happened both in the United States and in uh, Britain. And it's really fascinating because uh, although something like that kind of did happen eventually with ISIS, it also did not happen in the sense that, you know, Islam and uh, terrorism never really posed an existential threat to the West. Um, you know, terror acts of terror are terrible. But they're not gonna completely topple the United States uh, if we unless we allow them to basically um, you know no one is gonna unseat the American capital, nobody's gonna dissolve the u s government. none of that stuff's gonna happen. so it's weird when you think about it because uh where do, what what were we afraid of so much? What were the things that were so absolutely terrifying to us um, and that's how all of those people like Bush and uh, Tony Blair stayed in power. Um, Where am I going with this? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I guess I'm trying to make sense of, uh, uh, again, what everything that is happening, I think, in the media and uh, in our our current political climate, especially because, you know, you have to live a life in the midst of this, and trying to make decisions on what you're going to do is just really fucking challenging. Like, I don't how am i supposed to you know what are you gonna major in i don't know like every 18 months moore's law says there's more you know by the time i could graduate ai could be a real thing like if i was in a, if i was a kid right now going into computer science it might be like hey by the time you graduate ai will be created and will actually take over all the jobs so we don't know what you should study either kid <laughs> uh that is just Oh man. So here's what I did want to talk about though. Um I think I think that that AI question is really important and I can see why guys like Sam Harris are focused on it because it is important. You know, we yeah, everybody has to do something. So I was reading the book Designing Your Life um and it's a rather interesting book because Designing Your Life is really about designing your future that your present. You can't design it. You, you already have uh, through, uh, you know, through uh, either action or inaction, you've created the, the, what through the choices you've made and circumstance to the position that you're in currently. So designing your life is actually designing your future and things that happen outside of your control are a big part of your future. You know, you can l- let me put it this way: you can sit down and write out a twenty-year plan as intricately as possible. Uh, but you know, two days after you write that plan and begin executing it, you can get hit by a bus, and now your plan is totally changed. So, at some level, I mean, you can't plant. You can't. You could. You can maybe go. Hey, like, maybe there's going to be some rainy day idea that there could be a, you know, an accident that might happen in my future. I better put some money away from, for the, for something like that if it happens, but you can't really foresee, you know, I say it's a bus. Maybe it's an asteroid that destroys the Western side of the United States. You're, you're, you're alive. Cause you live in, you know, let's say, you know, the mid Eastern United States somewhere like Tennessee, you're all right, but the world is a radically different place because of a completely bizarre accident that took place. Are your plans going to stay the same? I mean, obviously, you can't plan for things you can't foresee. But you're trying to decide at some level, what do you, what can you foresee and what can't you? So it's weird because what if in 40 years, it is, you know, AI is taken over and your job as a computer scientist is now completely or a designer or what have you enter here uh insert, you know, your career idea here. What if that what's gonna happen with that? You can't plan on any of that shit. You're you you're you're it's just a confusing morass. So like that's exactly I feel like I've been encountering this lately because I've been reading Designing Your Life. And I, I think really that's exactly that's exactly where this is going. Just to refer to my previous point. This uh to talk about Baudrillard. This is really this episode more than any other is a rambling mess of incoherency. (laughs) Whatever listeners I had, you guys are at at the 30-minute mark now going like, I don't think Brennan's made a sincere, I don't think he's made a a salient point that I can explain to another person (laughs) once in the last 30 minutes here. (laughs) Essentially, all he's doing is throwing out names and half-baked ideas and crossing his fingers that at some point this is going to sound coherent. <laughs> this is the Jackson Pollock of intellectual rants, basically. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay. Let me back up. In my conversation with Michael Taylor, one of the things that I mentioned was that my feeling is that we're a group of people of people, basically, who is increasingly only serving uh, the means of production or capital. That all we do is we shepherd that capital into the future, and we are essentially stewards of it. Um, and and really, that's maybe how it's always been. And if you don't believe me, think about it like this: um, someone in the past had to, let's say, create uh, a farm. They had to burn trees down. They had to clear fields. They had to till fields. And then uh, they died, and their children uh, took over that land, and then they began to do that. And then one of them created a plow, and then they now used that plow with a cow to till the fields faster and get more space, and then... One of those kids did, did, you know, one of their children, generation three now, determined that, oh, if we take the cow dung and we put it in the field, it actually fertilizes the field and more things grow and so on and so forth. And where I'm, where I'm trying to go with the, with this is this. Every generation has solved problems for the current generation, but also the future. And increasingly, we're all becoming stewards of all of those uh, solutions, and that's called capital. Those solutions have value, and that value is increasing the ability to get food, people's uh, resources, that that kind of stuff. Here's the real crux of this issue, though, and this is why AI is really important. And I ran into it eventually in this rant. That has that that equation has always been based on the idea that there are an increasing number of people who can solve an increasing number of problems. That is that people actually have to do the work. Um, We've seen over and over again in history that when the work does not need to be done by people, that's when a depression happens, basically. It's when people get get laid off and the available amount of work that exists is greater than the number of jobs that need to get done. The value of work plummets. People will do work for less. People's wages fall. But the same amount of productivity gets done. Mike and I talked about this because I mentioned, and he mentioned, that the amount of productivity per American worker has been increasing, but the wages have been remaining stagnant, which says this to me. The work and the ability to get it done is becoming interchangeable from person to person, meaning that it doesn't matter if I have Tom, Dick, or Harry working I've created a position such that if a person is there, they can get a lot of work done because of all of the machinery I've built around them, for example. Um, That's a little scary to me because of this reason. As soon as AI comes around or something like it, it will probably change that equation completely so that we really don't need to have a person there. Um, Really, there can be a lot that can happen without any people. Now, if all we're doing is existing in order to be stewards for this capital, once that capital starts being able to take care of itself, uh, we don't need to have any people around anymore to be stewards of it. And uh, that's a little scary because uh, then where do the people go? People don't have to be employed. Now, Michael Taylor's answer to that question is guaranteed minimum income, potentially. Finland is currently uh, doing that. We are going to have to have radical, as Sam Harris says, changes in our conceptions of morals and ethics around work and on value because people who cannot possibly get any work done because they're being outperformed at every turn by robots and artificial intelligence are going to have to die or, I mean, the number of people we need around will be very little. And essentially all of that capital will exist basically to serve them. So there's a handful of people now who are basically billionaires who own all of those means of production and resources. And my genuine concern, and maybe you can hear it in the tone of my voice because I'm not making any fucking jokes right now, is that those people will be the only ones who exist to carry their genes and information into the future and the rest of us will all die out. Notice I haven't cast myself with that group of people. Either it's because uh, I don't believe I'll be there or because I do and I'm just trying to fool all of you. (laughs) Probably what will happen is this. Everyone's genome will be sequenced and saved. Uh, Your uh, genes will be placed in a computer bank somewhere uh, in case they're needed in the future for any known reason. Uh, Maybe you'll be allowed to have kids Maybe not, probably not You probably won't even want to have any And what will actually happen is Either your brain will be downloaded into a computer Where you can live out eternally In some kind of happy place Or um, You'll just be allowed to die off Basically Until the end of your days without any children And uh, that will probably be it It will be a weird end to the human experiment Um, That's what I'm foreseeing though Well, guys, uh, the battery ran out of this technological uh, recording device I've got here just in time, interestingly, to uh, finish up this podcast. I was getting to my crescendoed point right about the minute 45 anyway. Um, Yeah, look, uh, this is not the best edited episode I've ever had, but here's the deal. This is an interesting and scary time, and I I hope that the future works out positively for us. Um, I'm nihilistic. And I can talk more next week, I think, about how that nihilism manifests because there are funny things about it. But more importantly, I want to outline my feelings on it before we have an interview coming up soon with a really interesting philosopher, John Marmits, who authored uh, Laughing at Nothing, basically uh, humor as an answer to nihilism. So I'm looking forward to interviewing him in a few weeks. Uh, Otherwise, you guys, the madness continues. And as you can see, I'm trying to make sense of it in whatever disparate way I can. Take it easy. I hope I feel better (laughs) and I'll see you next time.